My name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here as well, and I just want to extend a, a warm welcome to, to each and every one of you. Uh, this morning, I want to think with you about, about something that all of us experience at different times, that at, at one time or another, we all have experiences of, of new opportunities and, and new responsibilities. It might be something that it's, it's at home, something changes. Uh, it might be something at work, might be something here at church or at school, but, but at certain points in our lives... Uh, there are new opportunities. At certain points in our lives, there are kind of new responsibilities. And quite often with these things, there's a, a sense of excitement, right? It's kind of a, a new opportunity, a new chance to do something, a new challenge. And, and, and there's kind of a, an excitement about doing whatever it is that's going to be new, whether it's, a, again, a new responsibility at work or, or whatever it is. There's, there's that sense of excitement. But at some point, at, at some point, if you're like me, it, it hits you, it hits us, that we are in way over our heads. I feel a little bit sometimes like that polar bear, right? Like, I got these responsibilities, but, but I'm just barely keeping my head above water, or in this case, above snow, that I'm able at this point to, to breathe, and, and I can see out my eyes, but it feels like the water is rising. It feels like the snow is getting taller and taller, and, and it's getting more and more overwhelming. And at some point, I often ask myself, what was I thinking? What was I thinking when I said yes to this responsibility? What was I thinking when I said, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can try that. Yeah, I can take on this new opportunity. Because as I realize this, I, I find myself in, in over my head and I find myself experiencing that fear and, and that anxiety and, and that stress. I, I think we're all, uh, for all of us, we, we have times of that. We have times when we are in over our heads. Um, I, I was thinking about that this week and I thought, you know, I, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I honestly, it struck me, I think I spend well over half my life feeling like I'm in over my head. The, the fact is I feel more often like I'm in over my head than I do that I'm in control. And in those rare times when I feel like I'm in control, I usually discover I was wrong. And I am in way over my head. But maybe you're feeling that this morning. I mean, maybe you're pregnant with your first child, right? And you're thinking, what in the world? How's going on? I, I remember very clearly the morning when, when uh, Adam was born that day. In that morning, Tammy woke me up about five in the morning or something like that. And she said, I think I'm in labor. And she got out of bed and she started to get ready to go to the hospital. And, and I just laid there. I just laid there in bed and I just said, wow, really? Are you sure? Today, we're going to be parents I'm going to be a father. Wow. And like four minutes later, honestly, Tammy came back in the room and said, hello, would you get moving? We've got to get going here. I, 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 I said, yeah, but don't you understand this? What were we thinking? I mean, we wanted to have a baby. What were we thinking? We are not old enough to be parents. We don't know enough to be parents. And, and it just, we are so over our head. She said, we knew about this for a long time. Now get going. And, and, and that was a little over 27 years ago. And I tell you this, as a dad, I still feel like I'm in way over my head. I, I still feel like it's just too much for me. So maybe you're pregnant with your first child, or, or maybe it's your second child, it, twice the fun, right? Or, or your third, and, and just know you are now outnumbered. Or maybe you're having something fun like triplets, right? I mean, you know, any of those events can happen like that, that, that it just feels like you are overwhelmed. It feels like you are way in over your head. Uh, maybe you're starting a new job. All right, maybe, maybe you're at a place where you have new responsibilities in your old job, but it's like, okay, I got this promotion. I'm excited about this. This is going to be great. And then you start to do it, and it's much more complex than you thought, and it's much more overwhelming than you thought, and it just kind of feels like, I can't do this. I am in over my head. Maybe you're dealing with getting older, 
And that's not easy as, as we get older and we try to figure out, how do I handle this? How do I care for my spouse? How do I care for myself? Maybe you have a situation of, of parents are getting older and you've got grandkids on the way and you feel that sandwich pressure of saying, we're supposed to try to take care of mom and dad, but we're also supposed to help our kids with their kids. And, and, and it's just too much. We just feel like we're in over our heads. Or maybe you've agreed to lead a small group. You know, maybe you've agreed to lead a coffee break group here at church or a men's ministry group for the next five weeks, this study that's starting. Maybe you've agreed to lead a, a high school group or a middle school group. God bless you. But, you know, when you said you'd lead this small group, you were thinking, this will be great. This will be fun. I have a chance, the opportunity to impact people's lives. And, and, to, and you think, these kids are going to eat me up. I, I, what was I thinking? What, I have just bitten off way more than I can chew. Or maybe, maybe you're being installed as a, as a lead, into a leadership position this morning. Maybe you're going to be a shepherd leader or a service leader or an elder or a deacon. At the close of the service, you're going to say, I will accept this office as a call from God. And, and three months ago or two months ago when you got that call from somebody saying, hey, we think you might be good at this. We think God might be calling you to this. You thought, okay, I'll look at that. Sure, I'll, I'll give God the chance, but I'm sure he's not going to pull my name out of the hat. I mean, God is smarter than that, right? And, and, and you kind of didn't think this would ever get to this place, and now it's here, and you're thinking, I am in over my head. What was I thinking? Why did I say yes back then? I could have just said no, and, and, and we have that sense. So this morning, what I want to think about with you, for those, again, of you who are specifically being installed in those positions, but for all of us, for all of us, what do we do when we feel like we're over our heads? What do we do when we feel like that polar bear where the snow is just right up to our eyeballs, where we're just feeling like we can barely keep up with everything that's going on? How do we handle that? What do we do with that? In order to answer the question, I want to take a look at Solomon, who was the third king of Israel. Saul was first, and then David, and, and then Solomon. And, and in, at, at something that happens at the beginning of his time, uh, right near the beginning, rather, of his, of his time of being king. Uh, Solomon had, had huge shoes to fill. I mean, King David, his father, is still the king in Israel. I mean, he is still the one everybody looks to, and, and, and Solomon has to follow David. And he's young. Some people say as young as 12 years old, okay? But I think it's probably more likely that he's somewhere between 16 to 20 years old. Um, I, I mean, 12 would be just unbelievable, but 16, 18 is still really one of those things you go, Wow. And now he's becoming the king and, and, and of this nation, and, and, and so he's young. And I don't know if you realize this, but there was a really rough transition from David to Solomon. I kind of usually think about that, and I say, yeah, David was king, and then Solomon was king, and that's just the way it went. You gotta, if, if you want to read some real political intrigue, I mean, Watergate was nothing with what's going on here. Solomon's half-brother, Adonijah, was older. He was getting ready to be king. But Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, went to David behind everybody's back and said, no, you should make, David, or you should make Solomon king. So, so, and, and people are getting killed, and people are having all this trading going on. And, and it's just unbelievable. And so here Solomon is, and, and there's all this really difficult stuff going on. And, and, and now he's the king. Now he's the king, and he feels like he's in over his head. He feels like he is just absolutely overwhelmed. This is too big for him. He cannot do this. I, I love what he says in, in 1 Kings 3, verse 7. He's praying, and he says, Now, Lord God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. I, I, I swear, that's, I, that's, I feel like that every Sunday morning. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday too, right? I mean, I look at what 
God calls me to do. And I honestly, I just feel like uh, Eugene Peterson says it this way in the message. I'm, I'm too young for this. A mere child. I, I don't know the ropes, hardly know the ins and outs of this job. Some of you are feeling that right now as you prepare to get installed. And, and, and some of you are thinking about that in your workplaces. Some of you are thinking about that in other situations. But, but it just feels like you are over your head. That's exactly where Solomon was. He's the new king. It's not been easy. And now he's supposed to lead God's people as the king. So what happens? How, how does Solomon handle this, and what does that tell us? I, I want to suggest that there are two key things that Solomon does in that situation when he's feeling overwhelmed. Two things that Solomon does are going to be two things that you and we, I need to do as well in those times when we feel like we are in over our heads. The first thing he does um, is, is, I think, just absolutely essential. But, but what Solomon does is, is he worships. He comes into God's presence and he, and he offers sacrifices and he prays and he just focuses on who God is. Look at 1 Kings 3 verse 4, okay? Uh, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for that was the most important high place. Now let me just stop there. Some of you know, I talked with some of you about this, that the high places, God said, destroy all of them. But, but it seems like, I, I mean, God honors this sacrifice and, and the temple's not built yet. And so kind of an interesting thing that Solomon goes to one of these places that God had told the people to destroy. But, but Solomon is, is do, using this sincerely to honor God. And, and God accepts that. So Solomon offered. He went to the high place at Gibeon, about five miles outside of Jerusalem. And, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. That's a lot of cows. That's a lot of chickens or, or whatever it was that were offered that day. You know, cows and, and goats and, and doves or whatever, but a thousand whole burnt offerings. Solomon just said, God, you are God. You are worthy of this. You, you reign. I mean, we sang it, but, he, you know, as he offers these things, they, God, you reign. And I want you to reign in my heart, God. You reign. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And, and then later on that night, he spends time in prayer. First Kings 3, verse 6, Solomon prayed this. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne every day. All right? So Solomon, he goes there, he offers a thousand, a thousand whole burnt offerings. And he says, God, you are so amazing. You have been so full of grace. You have been so full of kindness. You've been so full of mercy. You've been so full of love. He spends this time in worship. Why? What's going on there? What's going on there as he worships? I want to suggest, first of all, that he's, he's not buttering God up. I mean, this is not kind of saying, well, I'm going to say nice things about God. I'm going to God, give God this. I'm going to pray, and then God has to do this for me. No, he, he's not buttering God up for some great ask. What he's doing is he's giving God his due, which is always what we do when we worship. We respond because God is worthy of all our worship. But it's the other thing he's doing that I want to suggest is really important. What he's doing is he's remembering. That, that's, for me, one of the main things that happens when we worship. He's remembering who God is and what God has done. He's remembering God's grace, graciousness. He's remembering God's faithfulness, okay? I, I, again, he's remembering what God has done, that God is full of great kindness. And, and that's the Old Testament word chesed. If, it's one of those words that you might want to just kind of put in your mind because it's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. Chesed, it's, it's God's love, it's God's mercy, it's God's grace, it's God's loving kindness, it's his faithfulness, it's God's chesed, it's, it's his great kindness, it's his mercy, it's God's commitment and promise to be there with us every single day. 
And, and Solomon says, you know what? I, I've seen your great kindness to my father and I see your great faithfulness in the fact that you're putting me on his throne, that you promised to him that he would have a child on his throne and, and, and I am faithful. Or God, rather, God, you are faithful. And, 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 and Solomon just kind of focuses on that and, and he takes his eyes off himself. I'm a child, but God, you are great and you are loving and you are faithful. And, and, and I think that's just absolutely essential to, to do when we are in over our heads. I, I, what, what happens to me as I go through a week, and actually what happens to me as I go through a day, is, is, is I, I start off my day and I, and I pray and I, I spend time in worship or whatever, but, but I just kind of say, okay, God, you, know, remind, you are good and you are faithful and I know you can carry me through this day. But what happens as I go through my day is that all those problems get bigger and bigger, and I get smaller and smaller, and God gets further and further off to the side, right? And, and, and I find myself feeling overwhelmed. You know, the reason I, I, I pray before meals, but rarely do I thank God for the food. I pray before meals because then at least three or four or five times a day, um, I, 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 have, I just stop, and what I do is I just say, God, remind me that you are at the center, God, remind me that you are in charge. Remind me that this day is not about me, but it's about you. And, and, and for me, that's what worship does. That's what prayer does. We need to worship when we are in over our heads. We need to worship. We need to pray. We need to read scripture. Not so that we can say, oh, God, I did that. Now you have to take care of me. But so that we can put God in his place. So that we can put God in his place. Now, interesting phrase, right? Because usually when we put somebody in their place, we knock them down, Right? When, when we say we're going to put somebody in their place, we, we, we knock them down a peg or two. But what we're talking about here is putting God in his place and lifting him up and putting him at the, back at the center of things. And, and, and when I find myself over my head, one of the key things I need to do is to come back time and time again and say, God, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. And then all of a sudden, the, the problems start to come down. And I say, okay, God, all you've called me to be is to be me and to be faithful. And so I'm going to depend on your grace and your kindness, and I'm going to dare to step into this new situation and do what I can. And, and, and so I want to challenge all of us to just be so deeply committed to that, to that prayer and worship and, and, and to remembering who God is as parents or, or whoever we are, wherever we lead others, in our workplaces, whenever we feel overwhelmed to just regularly worship. Again, God, you reign. I, that was a song that, I, I, you know, that this morning I just stopped and I thought, okay, God, whew, remind me of that because I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach, and, and I feel like I'm in over my head every time I do this. So remind me that you reign, and then I can get up and I can be okay. Luce Meads tells a wonderful story about Pope John the Twenty-Third. okay? Pope John the Twenty-Third. Uh, you want to talk about somebody who, who I got to believe knows he's over his head, right? The Pope. The Pope has got to feel overwhelmed at times, and, and John the Twenty Third did. And and the story goes that one of his cardinals, and cardinals are kind of the Pope is the cardinal, the first among equals. So one of his important advisors and so on was was somebody who constantly felt the pressure, and was constantly saying to Pope John, you know, you need to do something. You need to do something about world hunger and poverty, and you need to do something about war and abuse, and you need to do something about this. We need to do something. We are the Catholic Church, and 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 the story is that John the Twenty Third came to him and, and put his arm around him. And he said to him, you know, I sometimes fall into this trap and this struggle of thinking that I have to solve all the world's problems, that I have to do absolutely everything. But he says, you know what? God gives me a gift. This guy said, well, what's, what's the gift that God gives you? And Smeeds tells the story is true, but he says every night, he says, when I'm falling asleep, God sends 
an angel to me. And that angel says something, and, and the guy says, well, what is the cardinal says, what does the angel say to you? And, and, and the pope said, you know what the angel says to me? He says, hey there, Johnny boy. Don't take yourself so seriously. Hey there, Johnny boy. I, I love that. And I was probably in Italian or Latin or something, but I mean, in English, this is the, the you know, can you imagine? I need that angel to come to me. I, I need that angel to come to me sometimes and say, hey there, Ronnie boy. It's not dependent on you. You are not the Christ. You can't change anybody's life. You can't save anybody. You can't make anybody right. You can't save any marriages. All you can do is point them to Jesus, the one who can. That's what we're called to do. And, and, and so that's why I say we need to put God in his place every day. And if you're like me, several times every day, as you try to carry out these responsibilities, as you try to serve as parents, as you try to serve as small group leaders, as you serve as elders and deacons and shepherd leaders and service leaders, you need to consistently be worshiping because that's putting God in his place and it's keeping God at the center and it reminds us of who we are. So the first thing that Solomon does is he worships. The second thing he does is he asks, all right? He, he comes before God and he asks. And some of you know, again, this story and, and so some of you might remember this, but, but, but it was a pretty amazing thing. As I said, Solomon came and he worshiped God and he gave him these offerings. First Kings 3 verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for that was the most important high place and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And look at how God responds. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon, verse 5, that night in a dream, or during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. You want to talk about your ultimate blank check. He could have asked for anything. He could have asked for anything. He could have asked for the death of all of his enemies, right? I mean, it was not yet fully established that he would be able to rule. There were still people in Israel, people outside of Israel, who had wanted him killed and just say, God, please just destroy my enemies. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for long life. He could have asked for health along with that. He could have, this would have been my tendency, I think, for, for a peaceful reign. I have to confess all too often that before council meetings, my prayer is, Lord, let this just go well. And that's not really a very good prayer. <laughs> Lord, let this just be peaceful. That is what I really mean. Let, this, let there be no problems. Solomon doesn't say, Lord, let there be no problems. That's, I, I pray that all too often. God, just take away all the problems. But it's God often at work in the problems. It's God often at work through the problems. Solomon doesn't say, take away my problems. Give me a peaceful reign. He doesn't pray for success. You know, that's up to God to give or not give. He doesn't ask for success he could have asked for anything. What does he ask for? He asks for a discerning heart. A discerning heart. Look at verse 9. He, he says, I'm a child. I, I don't know how to do this. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God, give me a discerning heart. That's what he asked for. And, and, and what that is really is he's asking for wisdom. And when I think about what biblical wisdom is, it's the ability to see what's really going on and, and know what's best to do. You, you know, the fact is we live in a world where there are some things that are black and white. There are some things that are right and wrong. There are some things where it's clear what we're called to do and it's just a question of obedience. But there are an awful lot of things we're just balancing stuff, right? Jesus came, John says, and he was full of grace and he was full of truth. And I can be full of grace and I can be full of truth, but I can't be full of the same, both at the same time very easily. 
I, I, I struggle with saying, when do I hug and when do I challenge? When do I just hold the kids tight and when do I say, this is wrong, go to your... How, how do you balance all of that? Paul says, speak the truth in love. Oh, well, one or the other, Paul. Let me speak in love or let me speak the truth. But it's really hard. But so often that's what God calls us to do as parents, as church leaders, as small group leaders, as, as trying to impact others. And, and, and so what, what Solomon says is, God, give me wisdom. Life is sometimes really confusing. It's hard to know what's important. It's hard to know what's not. It's hard to see what's really going on. I mean, you think about that with your kids. That's, for me, just the best example of trying to say, when do you just say, you know what, let them go. Let them go. They're on a fine path. Just let them go. Or when do you say, you know what, we got to stop this right now. And for parents, we are constantly struggling, right? And for pastors and church leaders, we are constantly, constantly struggling to know what's the best thing to do. And what he asks for is is not just wisdom, but he wants wisdom from God. Because literally what he asks for is a listening heart. What it says there in the Hebrew is he wants a listening heart. Give me a receptive heart. God, God, let me hear your words of wisdom. Solomon knows that that in the political realm, there are a lot of people who are going to have a lot of opinions, There are going to be a lot of people saying, you ought to do this, you ought to do that, you ought to do that. Now, it never happens in the church, but in the political realm, there are often a lot of opinions. And people, and Solomon says, God, help me to hear your voice. God, help me to understand your voice. Give me a listening heart for your voice, because more than anything else, I want to do what you want me to do as as pastor, as shepherd leader, as, as whatever I am, as parent, as small group leader, wherever I'm serving, God, I want to hear your voice. And, and, and so when we are in over our heads... We need God's wisdom. And and so I want to just ask again, those of you who are serving, those of you who are leading in various places, to pray for that. But I also want to ask all of you to pray for wisdom for the leaders of this church. To pray for wisdom for each and every one of us as we, as, as we seek God leading. We pray for wisdom for leaders of our country. Pray for wisdom for leaders around the world from other countries. But to continually pray for wisdom. And, and then again, specifically to pray for wisdom for our church. Uh, on Tuesday, there's a group of us we, we, who are going to get together, and um, we're going to start talking about some strategic planning stuff because we're getting kind of full, and we got these 10 acres over here, and we're saying, God, what do you want us to do? God, where do you want us to go? We've been kicking this around for a while, and, and so I just ask that you will pray for all of us in, in leadership and all of us who are going to be looking to say, God, we want to know what you want us to do. We want to know where do you want to take this? Not our vision, but your vision, God. Be thou my vision. Great song for us to sing. But I ask you to pray specifically for us as we start to meet, as we start to think about what is God calling us to do? So Solomon worships, and then, and then he asks for wisdom. And, and God gives it. God gives Solomon the wisdom. Uh, verses 10 to 12 says this, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment, for wisdom in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. God gives Solomon what he asks for. In fact, he gives him more. Moreover, I will give you, verse 13, what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. All right, so Solomon gets that. God gives Solomon wisdom. God gives Solomon more than that. And, and you'd think at this point that Solomon would be the greatest king Israel ever had. Right? I mean, he's the smartest guy who's ever lived. He's the wisest guy who's ever lived. He has this amazing gift from God. He's the richest king they have. He, he builds the beautiful temple. It's gold. It's ornate. People are coming from all over the world to see it. You'd think Solomon would be the best king. But you know what? I think we need to carry this story to the end. Because the fact of the matter is this. Solomon's life doesn't turn out great. 
He's not a greatly successful king. I mean, he knows everything he ought to know. He has the greatest wisdom there ever was. He has great discernment, and yet he is not that great a king. In fact, at the end, God says, I'm going to take away part of your kingdom from your son. I'm going to give it to somebody else because, because you haven't done it right. You haven't done it right. And I want to think about that with you as we, as we close here. You see, as Solomon grew old, his wives, and he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and just pray that I'm smart enough not to say anything right now. His wives t- turned his heart, his heart again. All right, he asked for a discerning. Now, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Interesting. Again, you know David committed, you might know, excuse me, you might know that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. David had Bathsheba's husband killed, and yet, we're told his heart was fully devoted to God. It's not perfect, but it was devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, as his Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Solomon's life does not turn out well. And, and what does that mean? What does that teach us? What, what, what do we draw from that? I, what I want to suggest is that, is that we need a discerning heart and we need a fully devoted heart. That, that it's not enough just to know what God wants us to do. Solomon knew what God wanted him to do, but he just couldn't do it because his heart wasn't completely God's. It was wise. It was smart. He could figure out things. He could figure out how to keep 700 wives happy. Start, don't go there. But, you know, I mean, he, could, he was smart, but he couldn't carry through on it. And, and he started to follow other gods. And he started to introduce false worship. And, 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 and so I think what we need to do is, is not just ask God for a, for a discerning heart, but for a fully devoted heart with the courage, with the strength to do what we ought to do. It's one thing to know what we ought to do. It's another thing to do it. So let's wrap this up. What, what do we do when we are in over our heads? I, I, again, first we worship we worship because God is do that, but, but also so that we can remember that God is God and we are not. We worship. We ask God for wisdom, to see well, to see and understand what's going on. And then third, I think we've got to ask God for a fully devoted heart to follow God completely. God, show me what you want me to do and then give me the courage to follow. Give me the strength to move forward. And then I want to suggest that we end by worshiping again. To thank God for his grace, again, his chesed, his, his faithfulness, his great kindness, and his presence, even when we don't get it right. I mean, one of the things I love about, about the Bible is that we see it in David, we see it in Solomon. They are both mixed bags, and so am I, and so are you. I, I mean, David at times was fully devoted, and at times he's committing adultery. Solomon gets it right, and he asks for wisdom, but he doesn't have a fully devoted heart. And yet God works in these guys. God works through these people, and God's grace and kindness is there for us as well. And, and so while I challenge you to say, you know what, pray and worship and keep God at the center and ask for that discernment and, and pray for devotion, but also say, and God, thanks for using even me in my brokenness, even me in my brokenness. We may be in over our heads. Those of you who are going to take these positions, I tell you, you are in over your heads. But the good news is that we are never in over God's head. Let's pray together. Father, now as we come to this place where we set aside leaders,
And as we set aside these leaders, we just thank you for them and for willingness to serve. And we pray that you will bless them in the time ahead of their time of service. Give them discerning hearts, Lord. Give them fully devoted hearts. And help all of us to worship so that we keep you at the center. Teach us to pray so that we remember that you are God and you reign and we are not God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of the times in our lives as a church where we get a little more formal here. Uh, And so I'm going to actually read the form. Congregation of Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate God's gift of faithful leadership for his people. And we begin by joyfully thanking him for those leaders who have served well and completed their terms of office. So I'm going to ask you if you have have been serving and you're completing your term, when I mention your name, if you would stand up and please remain standing. Uh, I'll go through the list quickly. It won't be that long, but we would like to thank you uh, when you're done. But Henry Atzma, um, Greg Lancer is here, Uh, Peter Kloster, uh, Sue Sigma is over here, Mary Brink, I don't know if she's at this service or not, Uh, Jim DeCorn, B. DeWeird, here's B. Uh, Maxine Hogsma, I know it's out of town, I think. Um, Jackie Hookwater, Heidi Tamaling, Jackie Dauma. Um, Gary Dauma's not feeling well, he's not here today. Sandy Gabriels, Joe Frankovich, and Ken Visser. Um, I just want to say thank you, personally, and from all of us as a church, thank you for your service. <laughs>